Uh, I, I don't know um, how many of y'all have been following um, in, in our emails and things, but I alluded it to it in my prayer. Uh, one of our cell churches supports uh, workers in uh, the 1040 window, and uh, we have been praying for a fellow named Abdul. That's what we've been calling him. Um, he has recently gotten married in Great Britain to a uh, just wonderful woman there. And as he was going back to his home country um, in order to visit with family after the death of a relative, uh, he was detained at the airport, taken through security. Uh, his wife was sent right back to, to Britain. And so um, there has been some kind of communication. He's um, very ill physically and um, probably being mistreated as well. Lots of um, persecution and things. And so um, there have, has, has a lot of pressure on the embassies, um, on the uh, Egyptian embassy, the consulate in, in Great Britain and in other places. And so, um, yeah, if you could continue to keep uh, Sharif in your prayers, a dear friend of uh, one of the brothers and sisters that we support. And so um, if you go to uh, my Facebook page, there is a, uh, a link to a group called releasesharif.com. Um, just go there for updates. Um, and please do keep uh, the persecuted church and uh, particularly Sharif in, in our prayers. We really, uh, yeah, it would be really uh, yeah, a blessing and encouragement to, to him as well as to all who are following this situation. Um, this was a couple years back during the Super Bowl. There was a commercial for uh, FedEx Ground. I don't know if you remember this commercial, but um, the title of the commercial was, was basically What's in a Name? And it's set in this kind of corporate boardroom conference room, and uh, the decision has been made uh, for this company to start using FedEx Ground for their regular shipping. So they say something to the effect of, you know, FedEx has been really good for us on overnight deliveries. Now we're going to use them for uh, FedEx Ground for our everyday shipping needs. And so um, this lady is going around and she's asking everyone in the, uh, in the team what they think of it. And one guy stands up and he says, FedEx Ground? That doesn't sound very fast at all. And someone else chimes in and they say, well... Actually, FedEx Ground is very, very fast. You can't tell something by its name. And so this uh, original lady, she goes and she goes to each of these people and she says, what do you think? And she says, uh, what do you think, Harry? And there's this guy named Harry who looks like a caveman. He's got hair coming out of every pore of his, his body. And he's, he, he agrees. He says, what do you think about, what do you think, Eileen? And Eileen is this lady who's hunched over like this. And, and she's like, yeah, I agree. He says, what about you, Joy? And Joy uh, can't get an answer out. She's just laughing hysterically. And then there's this guy named Bob. She said, what about you, Bob? And Bob just bobs his head up and down. And so uh, they go back to, to this original guy, and they say, and, and this guy, uh, kind of uh, high-powered-looking man sitting at, a, at the uh, conference table, he's got, like, no neck and, and three chins. He says to this guy, see, uh, not everything can be judged based on its name. And then this lady goes, well said, Mr. Turkey Neck. And it was a very funny commercial. And it says, that, it says the title of the commercial is What's in a Name? I think it's uh, very important because that commercial portrays the biblical understanding of what a name is. Names in the biblical in biblical times were a whole lot more different than, uh, were a whole lot different than they are today. Today, a name can be just kind of a label. It's like something that we call each other, a nickname. It can be something that uh, we just use to identify another person uh, simply as a handle. 
But in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times, names were something more significant. They weren't just a label, wasn't just a handle, but it was expressive of the very nature of a person. So you remember somebody like Jacob, whose name was the deceiver. And you see throughout his life, he was constantly deceiving people out of a birthright, out of a blessing, out of a wife and all kinds of things. Uh, Jacob was his name. Abraham, the same thing, the father of many nations. And, and, and when people came to know the Lord God, they changed their names to reflect a new nature in them as well. As we begin this Christmas season, begin this Advent season, moving towards Christmas, we want to look into the names that the Bible tells us, that the Christmas story tells us, the names for our God who came in flesh into our world. And by looking at his names, we want to see his nature and what he's all about. And so today, this is going to be a short series, three or four weeks, but today we're going to look into the name Emmanuel. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 1 going to read uh, verse 21 is what we're going to focus on, but we're going to look at verses 18 uh, through 25 to get it in its context. It says Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 25. We're going to look at the names of Christmas to see what these names tell us about the nature of our God who came uh, to us. This is God's word. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word. Actually, verse 23, not 21. But uh, some of you, as you're reading this, you might, the, your initial reaction might be to think, well, it says in verse 21, you're to give him the name Jesus. And then in verse 23, it says they will call him Emmanuel. And in verse 25, and he gave him the name Jesus. You're thinking there's something wrong with this text. There's something confusing going on. And several different places in Scripture, it says about Jesus that he will be called or his name shall be. Things like Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and here, Emmanuel. Um, When it says that this is what he will be called, it's not saying this is his name per se, but these are the functions that he plays. These are the titles that he has. These are the things that he has come to do. His proper name, uh, Jesus, but one of his titles, one of his natures is that he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. As we look into this, um, I just want to highlight three things that this name Emmanuel means. It says it means God with us, but it's a name that has three different connotations. At least it has many different kinds, but um, we want to look into three here. The first thing that we're going to look at is that Emmanuel is a name of comfort. Okay? It's a name of comfort. It means that God is with us, and the message that Christmas came to bring is that you and I never need to be alone. Or that we never need to be lonely. There is a, because there is a difference between being alone and being lonely. We may know this. You could be in the midst of thousands of people and yet still be very lonely. You know what I'm saying? Um, Queen Victoria, Queen of England, when her husband died, I don't know what his name was, but when her husband died, she said, I feel so lonely. Here I am, the Queen of England, yet I feel so lonely because I have no one to call me Victoria. 
That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Everyone calls her Queen Victoria. This is a, a, your, your royal highness or whatever it is, your majesty. She says, I have no one to call me Victoria. And so though I'm surrounded by people, I feel so lonely. Here's the ironic thing, that though the message of Christmas is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, so many times during Christmas, many of us feel acute, an acute sense of loneliness. I mean, when we see other people uh, having holiday cheer and, and hugging and laughing and dancing and all these things, and we're reminded of what we don't have. We don't have this festive joy in our hearts. We don't have this celebration. Maybe our family reunions are like going, entering into a war zone, and we don't have this sense of, of, of being connected and, and intimate with people like, like others are. We have this sense of, of, of loneliness. Now, studies have, have, have uh, showed that one-third of Americans are lonely. That means one in three of us in here are lonely. So if you look to your left and you look to your right, one of y'all, one of them is, if, if it's not them, then probably you. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably moments in time where all of us have felt like we're very lonely. Felt like we've got no one that we can share our hearts with. Loneliness is, is a sense where we feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for, unneeded. You ever feel like that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I go into these public places and I go to church or I go to school, I go to work and, and everyone loves me there. And yet when I'm home alone, I just feel this searing sense of emptiness and, and loneliness like there's no one who understands me. Philip Zimbardo, he's a, a, a psychologist, did all these uh, crazy experiments. Uh, some were very unethical, but one of the things that he said was um, he, he showed that there can be, there's nothing as debilitating as feelings of loneliness, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He says it is the leading cause. Loneliness is the leading cause of depression, of suicide, of rape, of sexual abuse. Loneliness drives so many of these things. And 50% of those who survived heart attacks said before their heart attack, they were lonely. And this loneliness is a difficult, difficult thing to deal with. And yet the message of Christmas is that God came to be with us. To those who feel lonely, he says, you never have to feel like you're all alone anymore. You never have to feel like you're lonely anymore. Uh, some, some have said that it's in loneliness. Lonely become, loneliness becomes a friend to us when we shift our desire for friendship with people in this world and latch it onto a desire for friendship and intimacy in relationship with God. You see, this was uh, the Apostle John when he was in that moment of extreme loneliness, exiled onto the island of Patmos is where he had this amazing revelation of God. He encountered the Lord Jesus, God with us in a most profound way. Maybe some of us this Christmas season, as we move past uh, Thanksgiving and, and Black Friday, as we inch towards Christmas, we get this feeling of loneliness deep in our hearts feeling like though there are people all around me and many people know me, I just feel like I'm all alone. I feel so deeply lonely. The message that Jesus came to bring on Christmas is that you never need to be alone. That God, our God, Emmanuel, is with us. That he's with you. Wherever you may be in the hard times, in the dark times, in the broken places, the, the first Christmas, Jesus didn't come to the, to the popular people, the high and mighty people, to the clean people. He came to, to shepherds, 
He came to a, a, a manger full of dirtiness. And all throughout his life, Jesus was going to the down and out people to show that you don't have to be lonely because I'm with you. There's a story that you may have uh, heard of. Um, I, I think the lady's name was Susan. She's this highly independent businesswoman, uh, very driven, very into her career, very into success, uh, 34 years old. And then one day, uh, because of medical misdiagnosis, she became blind. And so you can imagine the, the stress and anxiety of this woman who's used to doing everything by herself, all of a sudden becoming blind. And, and she would cry and she would cry and she would get angry and she would get bitter. No matter how bitter she got, no matter how angry she got, no matter how much she cried, no matter how many tears she shed, uh, it wouldn't change the fact that she was still blind. And so after some time, after about a month, she said, you know what, I, I, I need to get out of the house. I need to do something. I need to go back to work. And so her routine had been that she would get on the bus every day and she would take a one-hour bus ride to work and go into downtown and then she would go into her building and do uh, the thing that she was supposed to be doing. But there was no way that she could do that anymore. And so her husband, who was an Air Force officer, his name was Mark, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll drive you. And I'll just drive you to work and I'll take you into your office building and you can work and then I'll drive uh, back to my workplace. And so he did this for a while, but he began to realize that it, was, it just wasn't going to work out. It was taking over two hours to go back and forth uh, to work. And he said, hey, I don't think I can, I can do this anymore. You're going to have to go by yourself. And, and she became even more angry. Said, how, how, how are you supposed to, how am I supposed to do this? I'm blind. I can't see anything. How am I supposed to get to work by myself? I need you to be there. He's like, well, it's obviously it's just not working for me in, in my work schedule, the way that I, I, I need to do things. And, and so he said, but here's what I'll do. For as long as you need, I'll ride the bus with you. I'll make sure that there's a seat for you. I'll make sure that all the bus drivers know who you are, that they take extra special care of you. I'll do whatever you need me to do until you feel comfortable doing this by yourself. And so week after week, he would do this. He would get her onto the bus. He would introduce her to all of the bus drivers. They would always save her seat in the front row, the first seat, and she would sit down. And then she would be able to hear when the bus stop, her bus stop was being called. And, and then he would lead her and he would take her. Uh, into her office building. And so he would do this week after week after week. And after a few weeks, he began, she began to get the hang of it. And she said, you know what? I think I'm finally at this place where I can do this by myself. I think I can do it. I think I can do this. And so he sent her off that first day. She got onto the bus, met, uh, was greeted by the bus driver, had her typical seat in the front place, in the front seat, and went to work. And when her bus stop came, uh, she gently, gingerly got off and walked into her office building. She came home that day and she was so excited. She was so happy. And she said, I did it. I did it all by myself. I, I, I did it. And he said, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And he was so excited. He was so happy for her. And day after day, day after day, this went on for about two weeks. And at the end of the second week, the bus driver looked at her and he said, you know what? You're really blessed. I envy you. I envy you a lot. And so she looked at, well, she looked in his direction. She couldn't see, but she looked in his general direction and she said, how can you say that? How can you say that you envy me? And he said, you know, every day, every day when you get off the bus, uh, there's a man dressed in an Air Force uniform. He's waiting for you. And he sees you get off the bus and he watches you go into your office building. And as soon as you disappear, he gives you a salute. And then he turns around and he walks away. He said, I envy the fact that you have someone who cares for you that much. 
That's kind of what Jesus is saying when he came to be with us. You know, a lot of times we feel like I'm all alone in this life. I'm all alone. How dare these things happen to me? How dare God give me this lot in life? The message of Emmanuel, God with us, is that he's with us even and especially in those times when we feel like we're all alone. Right? He's there with us, leading us, guiding us. It's a message. It's a name of comfort. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The second thing, not only is it a name of comfort, it's a name of intimacy. Uh, it, it, it's, it's God coming in the, as a human being. To say that I understand what you're going through. I know what you feel. I know the things that you feel. I know the things I understand. I sympathize. I empathize. I'm there with you. Uh, this uh, Thanksgiving break, I was up in uh, Virginia, and my brother was uh, showing me this video. It's a YouTube video of a commercial for uh, a product called Burlitz. I'm, um, well, I'll tell you what it is at the end. But basically, it's a product called Burlitz, and, and there's this guy sitting at this control center, this command center, and uh, it's a German Coast Guard. And so there's this uh, kind of his supervisors explaining how to work all these, uh, these controls and, and explaining they're talking in German, all this stuff, and, and this uh, guy sitting at the desk says, okay, I think I got it. He says that in German, and the supervisor leaves. Soon after the supervisor leaves, he gets a mayday call. There's this beeping, and um, this ship is saying, mayday, mayday, can you hear me? Can you hear me? We're sinking. We're sinking. And so this guy kind of gets himself together and he pushes a button. He says, hello, this is the German Coast Guard. And the, the other guy, the uh, ship comes on and says, pss, pss, we're sinking. Can you help us? We're sinking. So the guy kind of scoots up and he says, what are you thinking about? <laughs> and the, <laughs> the commercial is basically for a language learning program. It says you got to learn English, basically, is what it's saying. When, when Jesus comes to be with us, he's saying, I speak your language. He says, I understand what you're trying to say. He's not God sitting up in an ivory tower. He's not God sitting up in the heavens looking down on us saying, oh, okay, you know what? Uh, I, I understand what they're going through. But he came to, to be with us. It, it's, it's the sense that we can be intimate with God, we can know God in a personal way and we can be known by him. See, before in, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, everything about the people of Israel as they related to God, the primary emotion, the primary emotion was one of fear. It was about being afraid of God. The children of Israel, when they would grow up in their Sunday school, in their Sabbath school, Saturday school, whatever it was, when they would grow up, they would hear stories that evoked all kinds of fear in them. They would hear about the world being wiped out in a flood and only one family was saved. And they would think, that's the God I worship. They would hear about a bunch of plagues striking the people of Egypt and all these folks dying and falling away. And, and they would think, that's their God. And even the people who, who actually encountered God, the good guys, so to speak. Moses, when he would meet God at a burning bush, he said, take off your sandals. You can't come any closer. And so there's a sense of fear. If I come any closer, I'm going to get burned up. There is a sense where if you, if you touch the Ark of the Covenant in an unholy way, then you're going to get destroyed. If you walk into the Holy of Holies, you don't come out alive. And even the people who, so to, uh, who, who, quote, unquote, were blessed, they would leave their encounters with God with their faces shining. And everyone would look at them and be like, dude, what's wrong with that guy? Or they would have this encounter with God and, and, and their hip would get wrenched like Jacob after he wrestled with God. And these were the ones who were fortunate, blessed enough to survive. The primary mo uh, emotion driving the people of God when they thought about God was that this is, he's a fearful God. He is, an, he is a fear-evoking 
kind of person. And yet when God comes on Christmas, the day we celebrate as Christmas, in the form of a baby, all of a sudden he's saying all the barriers are being removed. That all the things that once kept you from coming near to me, where before you could not have come, I have come to you. Think about could there be anything less threatening than a helpless baby? I know maybe some of you are like, you know, when, when my baby was first born, I was scared to, to hold her because I thought I would drop her. But besides that, or a baby that's crying, there's nothing that could be less threatening to a person than a baby. And God is saying, the one who you used to fear is coming to you as a helpless baby so that you could know me, so that you could be intimate with me. And this is what God came to do. Above all else, give me yourself. And he did. And he came as a, as a baby so that we could know him, that we could be intimate with him, so that we could have a relationship with him. And this is our God. This is Emmanuel, God with us. We don't need to be afraid anymore. One uh, cold winter somewhere up north, you um, may recall this story. Um, this man was awakened by a pounding on his screen door. And he went outside and he saw that it was a bunch of uh, birds who were freezing cold. And they're trying to get in, un- understanding that there was warmth inside the home. And they're banging up against the, the front door. And so this man felt, he felt so sad and, and felt so bad for these birds. And so he, he said, well, maybe I can set up a place for them inside of my barn. And so he uh, went into the barn, turned on the lights, opened, propped open the door, threw a bunch of hay, and he took a bunch of saltine crackers, and he threw it uh, in the direction of the hay so that the birds could fly in there. But when he, opened, uh, when he opened up the door and he walked out, these birds, thinking that he was just some big, alien, scary guy, uh, not, obviously not understanding that his desire, his intent was to help them and to care for them and to love them, they flew away. And so he did everything that he could to try and bring these, these birds into the barn. He set up a trail of crackers so that they might follow it inside. He tried to run behind them with a broom to try and shoo them in, but nothing that he did worked. And he, he began to think to himself, they, they see me as just this, this big creature, this monster who has no desire to love, to help, to care, no concern for them. Their only understanding is one of fear of me. And he began to think to himself, the only thing that could possibly be done is for me to become a bird like them. And so he did. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The only way that I can do this is that I become like a bird. And by becoming like them, the fear would be removed. And so I could lead them into safety. I could lead them into a place of care. This is... He began, to think, he began to realize this is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the incarnation, that God came to remove the fear by becoming like us so that we might become intimate with him. And this is, this is the second message of this name. It's a message of comfort. It's a message of intimacy or a name of comfort, name of intimacy. The last thing, Emmanuel, is it's a name of, of love. You will call, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Do you know uh, what the first question in the Bible was? It was God looking and searching for his people. And he says to Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Because the deepest desire of the heart of God, it's not that he didn't know, but it's expressing his heart that the deepest longing of the father's heart is that he would be with his people. Because that's what lovers want to do. When people are in love, they want to be together. You ask any, any uh, wife whose husband is serving overseas. And lovers want to be together. That's the desperate and deepest desire of the heart of people who are in love. They want to be together. And the heart of God, this lovesick father, is that he wants to be with his people. That was a desire from Genesis. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And yet when they sinned and they hid, he said, where are you? Not so that he could, not so that they could give him information, but so that they could understand that this is the searching heart of the father. And in time, God continued to pursue his people, continued to make his presence known. It was through a, a, a pillar of a fire at night and a cloud by day in the wilderness wanderings. It was through a tabernacle where he would tabernacle and dwell with his people. It was through a temple in the city where God would meet with his people and he got closer to his people. And then when, when he couldn't bear to be apart any longer, the New Testament turns and it says God came in the form of a baby to be with us. Because that's the heart of a lover. It's, they always want to be together. I don't know if I told you about my roommate, Michael. When I was in, when I was in seminary, I, I had a roommate named Michael who was dating a gal named Rachel. And he was from, uh, I forgot where he was from, Kentucky, I think. And she was from Baltimore. And they'd been dating for uh, quite some time. And uh, seminary winter break had come. And uh, for Christmas, uh, Rachel was going up to Baltimore. And Michael was staying in, in Orlando. And so... Um, Rachel was so sad that she couldn't be with Michael. She said, you know, it's, this is supposed to be the, the most wonderful time of the year, and it's not so wonderful when we have to spend Christmas Day apart. And so he said, well, you know, it's okay. Let's, um, instead of buying each other gifts, why don't we make each other gifts? Let's save money, make each other a gift, and uh, we can give it to each other, a uh, card. And then um, in Orlando and in Baltimore, since he'd been up to Baltimore before with Rachel, um, there were special places uh, in their dating relationship. And so he said, when you go up to Baltimore on Christmas Day at 11 o'clock, um, I want you to go to the Inner Harbor on the stairs overlooking the, the pier out right outside of the, uh, the building where we, you know, shared these special moments together. I want you to go there and, and open up your gift and, and read your card, and, and I'll be on my cell phone, and I'll go to this place in Orlando where we went for our first date, and we can, you know, even though we're not together, we can, we can be together. And she said, well, if it's any consolation, that's the next best thing we can do. And so they, they did that. And so Christmas Day came, and Michael called Rachel at 11 o'clock, and he said, where are you? And she said, I'm in uh, Baltimore, I'm in the Inner Harbor, sitting on the stairs where, you know, this place that means so much to her. And he said, why don't you open up your card and, and begin to, uh, to read it? So she began to read it. And he said, what are you doing now? And she said, I'm crying. And he said, look up. And to her surprise, Michael was there right in front of her. Right? Her father had arranged for Michael to fly in the day before and stayed at her dad's place. And, and so he was there. And, and in the midst of the tears, in the midst of all that emotion, he was on his knee. And he said, Rachel, uh, I want to be with you. I want to be with you forever. And so he gave her a ring. And, and she said, yeah, I give my life to you. Because this is what lovers want to do. Right? They want to be together. Always. 
And the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of love, this love sick father wanted so much to be with you and to be with me that he spanned the distance of time and space and he came into our world and he loved and he loved the people undeserving. And every single one of us knows that whenever you love, whenever you love, you risk because you're putting yourself out there. Every guy who ever asked a girl out on a date, every guy who ever asked a girl to marry him, when I, uh, when I was uh, proposing to Olivia, I had sent uh, some friends a, a message, an email, or I forget, probably an email back then because text wasn't as popular, but sent them an email and said, hey, tonight I'm, I'm going to do it and um, would like you guys to meet at this place. We could celebrate together afterwards. And one of our guys, a guy named Chinte, he wrote back. He's like, DL, she's going to say no. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> so, and every time, every time we love, Every time we love, we take a risk. We open ourselves up, make ourselves vulnerable. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, you want to live a risk-free life, then just go around loving. Don't love anybody. Live with a hardened heart. Don't love anyone. That's the the only place you can live like that outside of this world is in hell, where you don't love anyone. Don't open yourself up to any kind of that kind of pain. But what price was God willing to pay in order to be with us, to show his love for us? How far did he come? You see, in, in Luke's gospel, it says that the heavens opened up and, and the, the, this, this choir of angels began to sing glory to God in the highest. And they got a glimpse of the pomp and circumstance that surrounded the glory of God in heaven. And yet when the heavens closed up, the angels went back into heaven. God remained here on earth. The one who could command Kings and queens and armies and nations like pawns on a chessboard, as Philip Yancey says it, subjected himself to human flesh, could not control his own bladder, his own bodily movements, could not control his own muscles. He placed all of his life into the care of a teenage woman, a teenage girl, to say, feed me, take care of me, nurture me, nurse me, make sure that I don't die. All of his life was wrapped up in that. And he gave himself to us in that way. The reason why, why did he do all these things? Why did, why, why? Because on earth, he could, there was only one thing he could do on earth that he couldn't do in heaven. And that was to bear your sins and mine upon the cross. See, Jesus Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, because there is one thing, one thing that he came to do, to show love, yeah, to comfort us, yeah, to be intimate with us, yeah. But how did he do it? He did it by coming into this world, Born to die for your sins and for mine. Born to take all of our burdens upon himself. See, Jesus came to be God with us, not for 33 years of his earthly life, but he came to be God with us so that we could be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And when he hung on the cross and his arms were nailed to the tree, at that moment when he gave his life and said, it is finished, he opened up the doors of heaven and he nailed those doors open as well for all who had put their faith in him. Saying this is what it means that that Jesus Christ came to us on Christmas Day to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. That he came to be with us on this earth, but the promise that a better world is coming, a better life is coming. That you could be with him forever. He says this message of hope, this message of love, this message of comfort, this message of intimacy, this message of forever love is available for all who would put their faith in him. Who would say, I no longer live for my own self. I no longer live to find uh, my own way to heaven but I give my life to you so that 
when I could not make it to you, you came down to me. The great author C.S. Lewis says that the son of God came to be the son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God and live with him forever. Let's pray together. Let's uh, take a moment to respond uh, to his loving invitation. Our God today, our God right now is here with us. And he comes to us to comfort us, to those who feel alone, who feel lonely, who feel like in this cold and, and dark world, there's nowhere I can turn to. He says, I'm here with you. Would you cast your cares upon me? Maybe others of us, we feel afraid. We feel afraid of, of our God. Feel like he's waiting to strike us with lightning every time we do something bad. We fear that we're not good enough for him. He says, look, no matter how good you are, you could have never made it up to where I was. But I came down to where you are. To be God with you. Maybe others of us have forsaken his love. It's taken God for granted. and Failed to realize that his heart breaks and beats with infinite love over our wandering souls. And he says, today, would you come back? And as you lead into this Christmas season, would you begin to see again the beauty of who I am, that you would come and, and worship me? Let's take a moment to respond, maybe a prayer of commitment, of surrender, of dedication to the Lord. Say, God, in light of the fact that you are Emmanuel, God with us, this is how I choose to live. So give me the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. Let's take a couple moments to pray together. I'll close on our behalf and we'll continue in our worship that way. So let's pray as we respond to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this is a love beyond all reason. <coughs> a love beyond logic, a love beyond anything that we could have dreamed up in a story or fairy tale. But we thank you that it's true and it's real and it's our story. Pray that you'd help us to live it, to love it, to tell it, to share it. And that we would love you more because of Christmas. We thank you, love you, and we pray in Jesus' name.